Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter. What is west of west and the shadows in the east? This is Casterly Talk. I'm Cat Napsock here with you to talk all about the world of ice and fire, HBO's Game of Thrones, books, maps, coloring books, pop-up books, recipe books, anything, anything you want to talk about in this wonderful world that we all are so obsessed with. My obsession still grows strong. I am looking, holding. Caressing, even. Season 8. The Blu-rays. The physical media copy. Yeah, I can watch them all right now immediately on HBO Now and HBO Go and HBO Get Out of Here. doesn't matter. I pay a lot of money for a service I don't really use just to watch episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm now. But I'm not going to do that. I, I, I need the physical media. I think something like this. I think you all can agree. Let's buck the trends. Let's throw off the progress of future. And let's buy those old copies. I finally got my hands on it. Haven't even broke uh, broke the seal on it. Had a couple weeks. Because I, 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 I'm not just going to dive right in to season eight. I, I think I'm going to do the rewatch. But that's an investment. And there's no time constraints on it this time around. So I don't need to do, you know get it done within three and a half weeks because the new season's starting. I can take my time. I can watch one a week. One a week and I'll see you in 2021. But I might do it. I might just do it. It's hard though. I can't imagine you're going to, at one point you'll knock out two in a night, right? Like that's how Game of Thrones works. Even if you've seen it so many times. You watch the pilot. The episode I and probably like most of you have watched the most. The most. And you hit that ending. Brand gets knocked off. The things I do for love. And you're like, ah, well, you know, we, we, I got time. I can miss that birthday party. Let's just watch. Let's just watch another one. It's very similar to the old Portlandia sketch about Battlestar Galactica, which was uh, something I felt with that show, too, because I watched it late. I didn't watch it when it was on TV. Did the binge on Netflix and was I mean I lost actually a lot of weight during that time because I, I was doing some cardio while I was watching episodes and it'd be like ah, you know let's uh, yeah you know we'll keep pedaling watch some more Battlestar Game of Thrones is like that too so I'm getting to that point where I'm going to watch and get to season eight a season I do really sincerely love Game of Thrones just won some awards for season eight uh, awards for visual effects. Audio and costume design. These are big things. This came at the uh, 18th annual Visual Effects Society Awards. This was just this past week. Congratulations to the Game of Thrones team. 
Specifically, they won some awards for The Bells, uh, which is a production mixer, Ronan Hill, production uh, mixer, Simon Kerr, production mixer, Daniel Crowley, re-recording mixer, Annalie Bank, uh, Blank, and re-recording mixer, Matthew Waters. He's got one T in Matthew. That's a very Game of Thrones spelling. And the Foley mixer, Brett Voss. Big winners for Game of Thrones. I love this, man. Uh, we also got awards for Carlos Patrick de Leon, Alonzo Bocanegra, Martinez, Marcella Silva, and Benjamin Ross. Uh, the work on the Red Keep Plaza and the Iron Throne won them Outstanding Created Environment in an Episode Commercial or Real-Time Project. With a dragon ground battle in the long night. Created by Mark Richardson, Darren Christie, Nathan Abbott, and Owen Longstaff. I mean, talk Game of Thrones names. They were awarded the Outstanding Compositing in an episode. Some of the big awards pulled in from Game of Thrones, as it should. As it should, because that's one of those, hey, regardless of what you think of the show in the final season or two, some of the specific episodes or plot points, that's not factored in here. It's these folks, these heroes. And you know what? That's pretty. Uh, it's pretty good that they get their due. Game of Thrones is a giant production. We we all know this. This we know, but there's so much that goes into it. So much that goes into it. That does not mean you can't be critical of the things you watch. I I believe that you have that right. Of not just with Game of Thrones, but everything. You know, every movie's hard to make. And if I was making big budget TV shows or big budget movies or any TV shows or any movies at that range um, for that point. Um, yeah, I would, I would be nicer to everyone who made other things. This came up recently. Paul Thomas Anderson, the great director and writer. Auteur. Uh, he kind of said he never says he hates a movie because he knows of what it goes in into making a movie. I think that's, I think that's justifiable. I think I'm in that spot a lot. Just as a fan, uh, but as someone who works in Hollywood, works around a lot of these people and and knows what, uh, you know, that list of visual effects people on the screen in the credits, even just an episode of Mandalorian. Uh, An old comic I know, he does a lot of that stuff. He's in the credits for Mandalorian. I haven't talked to him in years, but like um, all of that, 50 names to make one 31-minute episode on Disney+. Plus. So, yeah, I sometimes have a tendency to just err on the side of positive for that reason alone, other than it's just what I like putting out into the universe, what I like putting out into this pop cultural media discussion. I I, I say tear apart parts of, of season eight of Game of Thrones. Go for it. Just just realize that the intentions of the creators, which includes all these names winning awards, the intentions were, were good. I think that's where I really, really start to have problems with it. From fan reactions, looking at uh, Benioff and Weiss, and suddenly, like, they're two bumbling fools that stumbled into eight seasons of the greatest show uh, ever produced. Uh, that these visual effects people were trying to F up the story or didn't know the characters. It's just that's the stuff I think we all can agree just gets tiresome. And in fact, we're, we're in agreement with Yara Greyjoy, actor, a UK comedian, and uh, actor uh, Gemma Whalen. Gemma, is, she, is she a Gemma or a Gemma? I'll say Gemma. Gemma sounds like a Lord of the Rings character, but I don't know. I don't want to assume. My name, hey, hey, Jill. My name is Jael. Oh, okay. Gemma Whalen 
who is an interesting quirky performer on some of you've seen some of her stuff. And I mean, the quirky's in a great sense of just really brings like an old school kind of UK style to some of her comedy. And what a wonderful transition into Game of Thrones. She's, she's really good as Yara Greyjoy. She's really, really good. Some of that season two stuff, other than some of the, even the icky stuff. It's just, it's really, really great stuff from her. And I think that's an example of, of Game of Thrones, the casting department, knowing who to bring in for these roles, knowing who to bring in for even the, the tiniest of parts. Because there's no tiny part. I think the show, movies, everything, they're, they're often as, as good as your weakest link, similar to a sports team. That includes sometimes extras. Game of Thrones extras are really good. Um, that uh, extras and I, I've never done extra work. A lot of my friends have. I mean, and they'll joke like they'll bring up clips. There's me not knowing how to clap on a sitcom. It can affect things, and I think Game of Thrones is a great example. I've talked about it often here. Just the these little scenes, these tiny scenes that have big impact, and they don't they don't cast a performer who can't bring the weight needed to these scenes. Yard uh, Greyjoy is not a small character by any sense of the imagination, but you know that could have been tossed aside. Not with Game of Thrones. She though, I you know, do, do, do. she's uh, she's a little happy though. <laughs> she had an interview with the Guardian, and she goes into a lot of things in this interview with the Garden, all over. Um, Talking about uh, a man doing appalling things with his horrendous megalomaniac ego uh, to her anorexia recovery, some real serious life things. And and I say that to say they asked her in in this wide ranging conversation about life, the universe and everything. They the Guardian asked uh, Gemma Whalen, what was her greatest uh, disappointment? Just in general, what's your greatest disappointment? And she shot right back the fans' reaction at the end of Game of Thrones because I think it was brilliant. And I love that. I love that. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to talk about it, too. I'll call myself out a little bit. I always say be wary of people's agendas in this pop culture media discussion world. They'll they'll say, did you see? Go to Amelia Clark's Instagram page. Do you see the way she's looking in, in that Instagram photo on set? She doesn't like the scene she's in. She hates the creators of, the, of Game of Thrones. She hates all of it. And they'll write a, an article on it or do a YouTube angry car video. And, and, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. I always say be wary of their agenda. But also, look, man, I'm looking for positive stories. I'm looking. I love. I live for the actors, not the, even the creators, but the actors in the show clapping back at a lot of the criticism and not in a way like say Miss Sanday, Natalie Emanuel, who just uh, acknowledges some of the controversy around her character's demise and the social implications and what it means and how powerful it was and how powerful the reaction, including the negative reaction was and what it meant to her as a person of color performing uh, at a high level. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. That those are, real good conversations to have good reactions and in doing so she she acknowledged how much the show meant to her the creators Benny Alpha and Weiss were, were great to her and, and, and didn't slag them didn't slag the production but addressed some of the controversies that's 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 normal stuff but I'm living for Dinklage I am living for Dinklage just getting grumpy about p- people with Khaleesi tattoos hating the ending <laughs> I'm getting grumpy. I, Phil, 
or Jamie Lannister himself, Nikolaj, f- fighting back at, at, at panels. Lena Headey's done it in her own way. It, 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 even she's done it in a way of like, yeah, you know, Cersei did this, but, you know, this is what goes into it. Um, I love all of that. I love all of it because they're there. And, yeah, they're invested. Gemma Whalen is invested in the story. She's invested in the process. You could easily write that off, though, but they were all in. And that maybe is my thesis statement of it all. They were all in to give you what they thought was the best show possible and the best ending possible. And all I ask is that you take a deep breath before flinging some daggers at them. The creative, uh, uh, you know, the the the, the not so creative uh, uh, refrains in the in the criticism of the show, lazy writing. They don't understand the characters. Foreshadowing isn't character development. All these things. Some of it's some of that's very uh, true stuff that you can talk about and have that conversation. But I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you. Read through all those complaints. Read through all the critiques of the show. When they get too personal and they start saying that. Benioff and Weiss didn't understand these characters. No, they understand the characters just fine. They understood where they they were taking their show. Uh, More news this week kind of confirming what we talked about last week. If wins a winner, you know, still being worked on, perhaps the ending being tweaked. And I am always up for a good conspiracy theory. I don't necessarily think George is completely reacting to the public reaction to the show. He could be. I mean, that's not dumb if he does, but I, I think George is... George is too much of a of a a proud creator, not a prideful creator, but a proud creator. I don't think he he would change too much of his plan based on anything else. If he's going to change anything, it's because he felt the need. But we'll never know. We'll never know because he he won't cop to it, and and I think he shouldn't. Even if he was, even if he was like f this, f the show, I'm going to change my ending complete. He's he's going to be professional enough because he's got to continue working with hbo and make a, another show that uh, work really well so all i have to say i liked reading this from yara gray joy herself the greatest disappointment her greatest disappointment the fans reaction at the end of game of thrones because i think it was brilliant yeah i think that's great i think it's great they knew what they were doing and we should trust that we should trust that and you don't have to like it I'm not asking anyone to like it again to my my earlier statement. All this is hard. Doesn't mean all of it ends up perfect. Happy to have those discussions. Happy to have the writing discussions about some of uh, the butterfly effect in in the early earlier seasons that may have caused some problems for some when it came down to the end of season eight. I'm all for that. I'm all for that. But to suggest that any of these performers, any of these Writers and actors, producers, directors don't respect the material, don't respect the show. Bonkers. Just bonkers. Poppycock, I say. Quote me on that. We're going to take a call here. Uh, we got a few calls coming in. Uh, and our friend Billy's got a number of calls coming in. And uh, I not get to all of them today, Billy, because you got some good, good thought starters here. But I like... This one here, this is gonna, this is good. I'm talking to myself right now. Let's hear from Billy here on Casterly Talk. 
Hey, Ken, this is Billy. So this calls a few weeks late, so I just want to apologize, but this is my response to the question of what we would add into a special edition of Game of Thrones. And my response would be adding more scenes of Rhaegar Targaryen. We hear a lot about him in the series, and we only we only see him, I think, on screen one time when he's getting married to Lyanna. So I would have loved to actually have seen the tourney at, the tourney at Harrenhal, where he gives the winter rose to Lyanna Stark, and this, like we see all the smiles. I think that'd be very interesting. And if this is truly a special edition where we can make some tweaks to the lore, maybe, I would love to see him learn about all the prophecies when, because in the books, he's much more of a student of, he's a scholarly person and only becomes a warrior after learning about some prophecy connected to his bloodline. So I would love to see a little bit more of that and maybe just add that into the lore of the show. That's a great call, Billy. I I love uh, I love that call here. I love Rhaegar Targaryen. So a couple weeks ago, if you missed the episode, we had a great uh, question um, about hey, what if there were special editions of Game of Thrones, the show, the seasons, uh, similar to the Star Wars special editions, not necessarily director cuts, but like you could add some things that are you know maybe were never shot, but maybe you wanted to see in the show. We kind of avoided some of the big discussions like uh, Lady Stoneheart and that kind of thing, but that could be that could be possible too. So Billy's got a great idea here about seeing a little bit more of Rhaegar. Rhaegar Targaryen, to me, is one of the best characters in all of pop culture. This this pop culture landscape that we now swim in daily. I'm talking your Star Wars, your Lord of the Rings, Doctor Who, Battlestar Galactica, any of them. I don't know. He's one of... The best characters who's like not even really a character. His shadow hangs over the show. So, Billy, your suggestion of of flashing back somewhere or another. You know, do you use it? Is is it Bran? Is it Bran and and the Three-Eyed Raven going back to the the tourney at Heron Hall? Could it it be as simple as that? Do Do we see it that way? Do we watch him unseat Sir Arthur Dane? You watch him hand... That winter rose to Leanna Stark and Bran looks over and the camera pushes in to Elia of Dorne watching as her husband walks past her and puts his winter rose in the lap of Leanna Stark, essentially starting a war right then and there. Does that help with some insight on John's story? You know, in the end, we, we got what we needed in that regard. I don't think we needed this, but that's not Billy's point. The point is to see more of this character. Rhaegar Tar- uh, Targaryen, the older brother, of course, of uh, Viserys, and our uh, wonderful, our lovely Mad Queen with righteous rage, Daenerys Targaryen. The elder brother of them. Um, such a key figure in the story. And like I said, he's a shadow that hangs over Game of Thrones in the most wonderful way he's an artist he's a deep thinker he's an intellectual and he's and he's obsessed and and, and billy talked about it. he is obsessed with these prophecies is it he is he the one who might be the chosen one is he azor high reborn or is it his offspring and it focuses him and, and, it, and it really kind of forces him into a warrior and he makes these decisions he knows what he's doing he is this uh child of of, of privilege perhaps even a child of destiny within the Targaryen family. And he goes against all that to fall for Lyanna and let himself fall for, for Lyanna and make this 
public declaration of love, quite frankly, which leads to a war, and he knew what he was doing. So does that make him good? Does that make him bad? That, of course, makes him normal, (laughs) complicated, which is what Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones does obviously so well. But I am very fascinated about what he means to the story, particularly with Daenerys Targaryen. We are presented early on with her brother, Viserys, the one we we see, we feel, we can almost touch because season one, he's right there, he's in her face. And we want her to get rid of him. We want her to leave him behind. And in in the end, we were rooting for her to have him killed. Crown for king. But all that all that work in season one, which serves its own purpose and, and is key to Danny, still hangs over the show as we move on, particularly six, seven, and eight. Daenerys Targaryen is of this dragon blood. And the questions start to emerge. Who will she be? She wants to be her own person, but a legacy hangs over almost every decision a lot of these people do. It's just built into this world. Why do we fight the wildlings? Well, because we're told to. Why do we um, pledge our allegiance to this house? Because our ancestors did. They had a pact. Why do we do this? So Daenerys Targaryen is living in that world. And even though she's out on her own and making great strides and powerful moves and, and growing, growing quite well, the shadow of who she is and who she might be is there. And that is in the form of Viserys on one hand, and as we learn more, Rhaegar in the other. Rhaegar should have been the chosen one, man, if that was in Star Wars. I'm not talking about Zora High, but like, he's the guy. We, we, we're all chasing the throne in this world. And there's good people going for the throne. There's people start good and go bad, looking at you, Stannis. And there's also other people of destiny. But we got the Mad King. We got usurpers. You got Tywin using it all for his own gain to protect his family. And the one who probably deserved it the most and would have been the best king. Going back even all the way to the days of Aegon would have been Rhaegar. And I love that you feel that. I love that they they do kind of unravel that. And, and the book does as well. And I can't wait to get more of that information. Because he's presented as such a bad guy. We've talked a lot about Robert Targaryen, Robert Tar- Robert Baratheon, excuse me, Robert Targaryen, I'm thinking of Targaryens, Robert Baratheon, Ned Stark, Cersei Lannister, Jamie Lannister, the Hound, and the, and the first episode, in the first season, we're introduced to all these characters, and we're, we're trained just from years of watching all these type of shows, all this fantasy, all this sci-fi, all this pop culture stuff, there's you good guys, there's you bad guys, there's our kid of destiny, this is what's happening in Game of Thrones, what it does so well, tosses that all out. Along the way, I still contend Robert Baratheon is a good man at heart. Just too much of his nature, too much of a product of of the world he lives in. And too much an example of not changing and evolving. So I'll not say Robert turns straight into a bad guy, but at times he's hard to root for. And one of the most interesting things is how Rhaegar Targaryen is presented by the king, the king who's best friends with the guy we love, Ned Stark. 
I always say this. I say it's probably too much, so it drives people crazy, especially on my Star Wars podcast. Dialogue by characters are not to be taken always as facts. Point of view, agendas. It's like real life. It's all there. You ever, you ever, you know, follow someone on social media, an entertainer, or know someone in your life who's like, oh, man, I got run out of that job. Everyone was against me. And they go to another job. Oh, man, I got run out of that job. Everyone was against me. Oh, man, they, they, they won't put me on that TV show. Everyone's against me. Oh, man, they tried to replace me on the show I'm currently, currently on. Everyone's against me. After a while, you're like, is everyone against you or are you against yourself? Is this something you're doing? It's a fair question. I look at that with Robert Baratheon time and time again. I loved her, Ned. She deserved more, Ned. Rhaegar Targaryen. I killed him because he raped your sister, Ned. You believe it. You believe it because the king said it. And Ned Stark, Ned Stark trusts that king. And then along the way, Rhaegar Targaryen just, boom, things start to change. He did something that was at both, uh, it was very selfish. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not an advocate for forced marriages, uh, political power marriages, loveless marriages that you're going to stay into, I, you know, and you're going to step out on your husband or wife. I, I'm not saying I'm, I condone that in this world, or even, even in our world, but in this world. I'm not expecting Rhaegar to just sit there and, and stay in this marriage for purpose, over passion. But when he put that winter rose down in the lap of Lyanna, he knew he had to know he was starting a war, and he doubled down on it. And the moment you start to unlock that, and the moment Robert Baratheon's story starts to ring false, the moment you watch Baelish over the shoulder of Sansa Stark as she says, oh, here's the story. Here is the truth. Rhaegar kidnapped and raped my aunt. It started a war. We went to go avenge her. We went because we had to. We followed Robert. We took... He took that throne because of what they did to poor Lyanna. And the moment you see Baelish over the corner, like, well, is that what you believe? Rhaegar Targaryen just becomes infinitely more interesting to me. Yeah, so Billy, anything more we can get out of Rhaegar, I love. I hope, I don't know if in Fire and Blood, part two, when that comes out, that will... We're definitely going to get probably as far as the Mad King, but how much will we get of Rhaegar in those books is a question I have in the second book. I hope a lot. I hope we get to spend a lot of time with him. Billy talked about the tournament of, of Harrenhal. Yeah, that of all the events, you know, when there was a lot of rumors about what might be the prequel series for, for Game of Thrones, the spinoff series, Robert's Rebellion came up a lot, as it should. We got to see a lot of the, of that in the show, uh, you know, uh, at least in terms of young Ned and all that kind of, we got to see just enough. And I agree with George R. R. Martin where he says, well, it's all through the books. It's all through the show. I don't think we're going to cover that in a separate TV show. A lot of us have said, well, give us a special, give us a special. I'll even take an animated history and lore hour long special. I love watching videos, going to YouTube channels that uh, cover the wars of Game of Thrones as if they're real military uh, uh, entanglements and, and they study them. I love that stuff. I love that stuff. 
Game of Thrones is so good. World of Ice and Fire is so good. That well, that book itself, but just so good of, how, of celebrating and treating its own history so sincerely and so seriously. So I hope Fire and Blood scratches a little bit of that Rhaegar itch, but I would love, I mean, I want George to finish the books, but I would love just a, a separate book of the Tournament of, of Harrenhal. It doesn't have to be big. doesn't have to be long. Just a look, uh, uh, almost as if it's a history book that I could pull off a shelf written by David McCullough but about the Tournament of Harrenhal, everything that's in it, because there's a lot in it. It doesn't just have to be about Rhaegar, but I'd love to get into Rhaegar's mind in that moment. Talented musician, poet, thinker, lover. Uh, Not so much a fighter, but he could be. But he could be. What would have happened? We keep talking about what-ifs here. What would have happened if... Robert Baratheon died at the Trident. What would have happened if Rhaegar's sword slew that Baratheon king, the Baratheon would-be king? What would have happened? Would that have been a victory for Lyanna Stark? Now, in the Tower of Joy, things aren't going good. She's bleeding, she's bleeding out. We have our big important moment, our promise-me-dead moment. Would that have changed... Was it just the childbirth that did it? What was going on, right? We're not yet fully in the Tower of Joy. I think we'll get some of those answers in the book. We got a lot in the show. You gotta give the show credit. Well, they give you a lot in that moment if you're a Game of Thrones history buff. Does any of that change? The war still rages on, so I think a lot of the events that we do know and love in Robert's Rebellion we can still talk about, we can still look at. But what changes if Rhaegar wins? I think he's justified. I think you'll be looked at as the rightful king. And Lyanna, perhaps, is his rightful king. I'm not saying Dorne's going to be happy. Maybe her children could have been spared. Maybe Tywin is held at bay. If Jamie killed the Mad King, he doesn't need to. There's a lot of big butterfly effects going on in there, and that story we can discuss at another time. But I am just enthralled with the tale of Rhaegar Targaryen. I hope we get more. He might be the one true good guy in Game of Thrones, not named Jon Snow. Going back to Danny, the, the fact that this hangs over her, the fact that Barristan Selmy in his final show moments has that monologue, the wonderful monologue about who Rhaegar is, and we hear a lot about Rhaegar through Barristan, who was there. It's not necessarily just good angel, bad angel on Danny's shoulders, but the question starts to form. If you're paying attention, if you're looking beyond the surface, the question does start to form. Who will Danny be? Will she be her own? That's what we're rooting for. And I think in a way, along the way, Danny makes a lot of decisions that are just of her. Just her own. But you've got Viserys in her blood. You've got Rhaegar in her blood. Under better circumstances, if her life had not been taking place on the run 
taking place, uh, happening on the whims of men around her, particularly in the early days. I think without all that, I think Danny does become Rhaegar, does follow in those footsteps. I think that's part of her frustration, too. I think part of that moment when she's staring at the Red Keep in the episode The Bells, I think part of that, if you're invested in that character and you know that character, is she thinks on the surface, this is all mine. It should be mine. My family built that. And this kingdom is between me and what my family built that I believe is mine. And that could be mine. That's her immediate wants and desires. Yes. But beneath it all, she's probably thinking, I would be good to you. King's Landing, I would be good to you. Seven Kingdoms, I would be so good to you. You almost had Rhaegar and he would have been good to you too. Now you can get me. Get me. No one wants me. I was promised. I was told they celebrate your return secretly in halls, Khaleesi. They want you back, Khaleesi. They want the name of the Targaryens restored in Westeros. I was told that. Now I'm here. It doesn't seem like anybody wants me. Now it, now it's here. They, they got this, this mad queen. I'm not the mad queen. It's this Cersei Lannister. She's up there in that red keep that should be mine. I want to treat you like Rhaegar would have treated you. But now I must be Viserys. It's painful to watch. It's painful if you love Danny. If you love Daenerys Targaryen as a character and you're invested, it is and should be painful to watch. This is not a great decision. It's not a good decision. But like Peter Dinklage says, she is a victim in all this just as much as the aggressor, as the one making the bad decisions. I think she was driven to this. I wanted to be Rhaegar, but I am going to be Viserys. And it costs her. That is why I want more of Rhaegar Targaryen in my world of ice and fire. I want more of his story. I want more of who he is. I want to know his influence. I'm hoping Fire and Blood Part 2 gets that. Or we can get with Billy's call here of a special edition. Maybe we'll get that dream special edition somehow. Hey, on the other side of this, a couple more calls. It's Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napson. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back here in Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsok. Still dreaming about Ray Garth Targaryen. Let's go to the phones again. 
Billy had a few calls this week, and, and this uh, Billy's so great. Billy checks in every couple weeks. I'll get a bunch of calls from him, and I'm like, oh, I can build an episode around that. I can build a, seg- build a segment around that. So I'm not going to use all of Billy's calls. So, Bill, if you're listening, keep calling because you always have something good. But we don't want to talk. Uh, we've been talking a lot about House of the Dragon coming in 2022, far off into the distance. But, you know, it'll be here sooner than later. If we're all still around. Uh, we've got uh, this uh, uh, this call, though, from Billy about House of the Dragon. Hey, Ken, it's Billy. So what I'm looking forward to in House of the Dragon is not actually seeing all the dragons and big epic battles. Of course, I'm excited for all of that. Who isn't? But I think what I'm secretly most excited about is to see what else is happening in Westeros to the other families. I'm a big fan of the Targaryens, but they're not my favorite. My favorite are the Starks. I'm interested to see how they factor in, how the other families factor in, and how the common folk are affected by this grand civil war that with dragons is basically like a nuclear holocaust to an extent. That's how the dragons are portrayed. They're the weapons of mass destruction. I'm really interested to see how the people and the land are affected by this great civil war between such powerful house. And of course, seeing the in- 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 how the the families interact with each other and how House Targaryen eventually falls. Wow, that's great. It's a great pitch for some of the stuff going on in House of the Dragon and what we might see from Billy. It's House of the Dragon. We're focusing on the Targaryens. We are looking at dragons. I talked about that. Want to see the, 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 the small folk attack the dragons in the pit and I'm going to see dragon on dragon action right but what's behind that what's there it's the reaction to them too yeah we want to go inside the royals so to speak what happens when Megan and Harry leave what also happens to the people who have to still function in a world both caring and not caring not affected and tremendously affected that's a great look at what we might get in House of the Dragon why the show could potentially be more interesting than than we're even giving credit for it right now. That's why I love your call, Billy, because you said talking about the, the the dragons being almost this nuclear holocaust, this the civil war, the dance of dragons, and 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 I always think of uh, you know stuff said in the in the sh- series uh, you know, Game of Thrones of just you know the, the wheels, the wheels being broken, and and they pray for long summers and and uh, short winters. They don't care who's on the throne. These people of the of the of the realm, and then then you get to the houses too. We are going to be probably far past Aegon's conquest, which is still a very fascinating point. Uh, love George R. gave us this, but moving past the conquest, and all right, the lands changed, and now we we kneel to this house, this house of the dragon. So what does that mean for those houses? What does it mean for their histories? What are they thinking? All right, so Torrance Stark is the king who knelt, and they seem to have a decent enough alliance there with the Targaryens, right? But what are they really thinking? And what's working on? And then what's worse? You got some good kings, you got some bad kings, you got some queens who go around caring about the land, giving back, extending the gift, all those kind of things, and then it all breaks out in war. And we're trampled underfoot. That's pretty fascinating. So I hope the show has those kind of point of view characters. Uh, 
And so far, I've been, maybe this is just me, I've been looking at the show of like, all right, we're going to get a bunch of Targaryens and we're going to see those Targaryens in action, see the dragons in action. I can fall victim myself to just watching and hoping for things to happen on the surface, sliding on the surface of things, and that's always part of the enjoyment. But we, we know the show's got to have more. The show's got to mean more. And the effect of the Civil War, the effect of these rulers, where you flip a coin. Crazy or not crazy? We'll figure out. Not crazy turns to crazy. Not crazy? Sometimes okay. We don't know. And we've got a function. Now they're trampling all over this land. No wonder they want to go charge those dragon pits and take those dragons out. No wonder. Fascinating. I could really get behind that, Billy. That's a good call. We'll have more on that. We'll have more on that. And we get some smarter people on the show to talk about that. All right, we got this uh, final call today from our friend Eric. Eric contributes a lot as well. His voice is, is a valuable part of this show, just as it was back in the Daily Thrones days. So he's got a fun one. A fun one here. This one, I, I, I pre-screened this one. This is close to my heart. Hey, Cannon Cashley Talk. So I love that you're a Willow fan. Willow is one of my favorite films. My love of the fantasy genre comes from Willow. I love all the characters in that movie. Um, my first childhood crush was actually Sorsha. And it got my, but my favorite character in the film is Mad Mardigan. I absolutely love him. And I thought this would be a fun question for you. Where would you see Mad Mardigan fitting in in the world of Game of Thrones? Would you see him maybe as a sellsword? Would you see him as a, a Lannister soldier maybe? What do you think about Mad Mardigan on Game of Thrones? Eric, this is great. Yeah, so I like the movie Willow, and I, I'm excited that they, you know that they might be getting this Willow series off the uh, ground of, at Disney Plus. It's not official. It sounds like it's official, right? For just the way social media acts, but they're hoping to get it going with John Kasdan behind it in some uh, fashion. So uh, I'm in- interested in that Willow, which what came out 87, 88 range. Work Davis. Uh, George Lucas, Ron Howard, basically, you know, it is kind of a Lord of the Rings story. It's a basic fantasy story. And you watch it now, like some of it, you know, some of it doesn't hold up in terms of uh, special effects, maybe even some of the performances. But, yeah, you got Val Kilmer's Mad Mardigan. Uh, you got Joan Whaley, who um, eventually, I think from this movie they met, fell in love and got married. for were together for quite a while. Joan Whaley plays Sorsha, a, a fiery redhead with a sword. And Eric, that was one of my... Uh, Childhood crushes, too. And uh, if anyone knows my life personally, uh, uh, sexy, sassy, redhead with a sword. And there's a theme through my life, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's got all that. Uh, and Warwick Davis is really good, really engaging. But, yeah, it, it, some of it is – it's weird to think because it, it came out. It was supposed to be – I mean, we're talking like this is post-Star Wars, right? This is post-Return of the Jedi. This is three four years after. And it's got, you know, wickets in it. And I saw it in theaters, and it was just like, all right, this is going to be our new Star Wars. We get a whole series of this. And the similarities between Lord of the Rings and other fantasy things, it was lost on me when I watched it in the theater. I was just like, yes! It's got dragons and witches and spells and swords and antiheroes and little heroes who, who save the day. Like, it's it's great. And then the brownies, Rick Overton and, and uh, uh, Kevin Pollack. Um, it's great. It doesn't always look great, but it's great. 
See, I do love it there. Uh, so yeah, Willow Game of Thrones crossover would be very, very interesting. Especially if you take it at the point, you know, search, uh, you know I don't want to spoil the ending, but so, you know, uh, some of the characters would, uh, I think they'd take umbrage to some of the things going on in uh, the world of ice and fire. They want to get involved. They have some theories. But Mad Mardigan, let's just say in the early part of his life, he strikes me as he's a little bit, he's, he's kind of like an Aragorn in Game of Thrones, at least this is his position, except for he has no secret destiny. He's not going to be a king that returns or anything like that. Um, he is kind of a sellsword. It's as if it's as if Braun was given the lead, like a, a little bit younger Braun before he completely went down the path of of, of killer for hire. Maybe it paid for some of the sins and found himself in a, in a compromised position and, and needed the help of uh, of some others. Um, I could see that. So I, he so he reminds me like I, I, again. Val Kilmer plays it in his own way, and it's great. Uh, just later on in life, I just always thought of Mad Mardigan as a little bit of Aragorn, and, and he is. He is in some ways, um, you know, in the terms of protecting them on their mission and everything. But he's is is not as uh, deep as in that. But he's a fun character, uh, and he is a heroic character. He, he he has to find that in himself. So I like that idea, and uh, I could see him as a sellsword. Having spent time all over the land, he was over at Essos. Maybe he was even in uh, uh, Shy by the Shadows. He can communicate. He's well respected by Dothraki. He's uh, gotten into some trouble over in Slaver's Bay. Maybe even freed some slaves because he's a good guy at heart. But he doesn't want the bigger responsibility. He's a little on solo, too. Mad Mardigan's a little, little bit solo. Uh, uh, a hero without the destiny. Someone who has to find himself as a hero, but has no great lineage or no claim to the story. So, I think, yeah, that, and I think in Game of Thrones, that's again, I go to Braun. It fits because you can see Mad Mardigan uh, drinking in an alehouse somewhere on some roadside inn, running into Braun, getting some problems, uh, but he could woo. Some people. He's a little like Dario, too. Dario and Mad Mardigan competing over the heart of Daenerys Targaryen. And quite frankly, you'd want both to lose and Jorah to win. But, I mean, that's just me. Um, but that's that's a comparable character as well. So, that's a great idea. Willow Ulfgood put him in there. A good ally for Tyrion. A small folk. Someone down in King's Landing, he must rise up. I like that as well. I like that as well. And then what, what would Ms. Melisandre do if she runs into Sorsha? Can't have two redheads in that land causing problems, right? That'd be interesting. The Willow Game of Thrones mashup. There you go. There you go. All right, everybody. We're almost out of here. This has been the 49th edition of Casterly Talk. We're getting ready for House of Dragon. Getting ready for, uh, hopefully, some point, <laughs> Winds of Winter. I have a feeling Fire and Blood 2 will come on before Winds of Winter. I have, I have a feeling F- uh, House of the Dragon will complete five seasons before Winds of Winter will come out. Come on, George. We're rooting for you. Now, not, now we're not even making fun of George saying get back to writing. Now we're just rooting for him. Come on, George. You can do this. Get it done. Get it done. I hope. Please. So that's what we do here at Casterly Talk. 
Andres Cabrera, Rachel Cushing, Lon Harris. Uh, come on in when they can. Lon, name this show if you're kind of new around these parts. Lon Harris is one of named Casually Talk. Uh, he uh, he and I wanted that to be the Screen Junkies Game of Thrones show. Uh, they didn't take it. I, I, I agree with that decision. It's inside baseball, but we love it here. And so that's why uh, they'll they'll be back at some point sooner or later. It's hard to get everyone in L.A. to podcast all at the same time. It's hard to do that, but uh, we are uh, planning on doing that uh, very soon here in the spring, getting the game back together. Uh, this is what we do. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can do so at Catnapsack. Go to my website, catnapsack.com. Got some live events coming up, uh, things to announce uh, very soon. My book, Why We Love Star Wars, is out there, the audio book as well. I do get asked from time to time, hey, we consider doing a Game of Thrones book. And generally, no, what I want to do, the 100, 100 Greatest Moments, so to speak, of the Game of Thrones series, much like I did the Star Wars one, I, I, I not necessarily. But even things like today with thinking of Rhaegar and Danny and that stuff, that, uh, you know, you never know. You never know. So uh, now I'm, I'm failing to end the show. Fail, play the music. Let's get out of here. Let's get out. I got to eat dinner. You, you eat dinner, too. We'll talk. We'll see you. Bye.